0: Welcome to another episode of the weekly regular. My name is Asan. I am sitting here, uh, Brandonless yet another week. Uh, please send all your good vibes and energy to Brandon uh, during the the trying times that we're all experiencing. But what that means is I have another very special guest host with me today, and it's going to be a really super duper stupendous conversation that I'm very excited about. But before I get into that, I just want to shout out to my best friend and tattoo artist, Brad, uh, Jersey and Alex, uh, his brother, Trey. uh, Trey's wife, Christy, their two kids, Hart and Knox, her best friend, Caitlin, and everyone uh, over at the Foothill Tattoo family. You need a tattoo, go to Foothill Tattoo in Rialto. Uh, I have beaten Brandon to that shout out yet again this week, uh, but let's get into the show. We got a very interesting conversation that I think will be uh, uh, a very poignant conversation given uh, sort of the financial... Um, ebbs and flows and financial crisis, frankly, that we're all facing right now. Uh, we're going to get some sound advice to uh, a friend uh, of the show. This is technically, I believe, his first appearance on the show. Um, give it up for Bitcoin Drew. Bitcoin Drew, what's up?
1: <laughs> uh, thanks for the nickname. I appreciate that. Uh, you're, not, <laughs> you're not the first one to call me that, though.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, man. See, you were originally – so just to give you some background on on who you are, you're a philosophy professor, right? Yep. Okay. So you teach philosophy at the collegiate level, and you were originally going to be on a previous episode of the show uh, where you would talk about philosophy, and we were calling you Philosophy Drew, but it just doesn't seem fitting – Unless you have a philosophical standpoint uh, uh, behind Bitcoin, which is a conversation we're going to get into today, uh, but I just think philosophy, Drew, doesn't quite sum it up. I, I think wh- what would you think, B- Bitcoin, Drew, uh, Professor Drew, could be cool. Uh, uh, Bitcoin,
1: Drew's totally good. You missed Posy, Drew. I was Posy, Drew in college. Posy, so.
0: Drew at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Are you re- are you completely retired from the hardcore scene? Uh, I mean,
1: if you, um, I guess I'm washed up in the fact that I just listen to the hits. I don't keep up with anything that's new. I just listen to Comeback Kid.
0: That's nice. Uh, some people would not consider Comeback Kid the hits. How do you feel about that? Uh they're
1: idiots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or just wrong, no, just plain wrong. Yeah, how inclusive of you, uh, in terms of the hardcore scene. But I know I appreciate someone with strong opinions. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm personally a really uh, big Comeback Kid fan, so. Uh yeah, we we ought to get you on to talk more in depth about hardcore one day. That might be an interesting topic. And what happens when people
1: grow up and, you know, this <laughs> and you become a statistic.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um but that's cool. Then then at that point we'll call you hardcore Drew or Posy Drew again if you reclaim your title. Perfect. But uh th- this week you are here uh your Bitcoin Drew because you're here to talk to us about Bitcoin. Now, um I want you to take a a moment and just explain to us uh, just actually before I do that, I'm going to give some background because I am a person who's like, like I wouldn't call myself a, if, if politically I would, I would say I am probably the furthest thing from a conservative as possible. Right. In the, in the sense that like, like, you know, I'm all for change and progress and like, let's keep society moving and evolving. And I have no problem with tearing down, systems and building new ones or adapting current systems and whatever right however when it comes to like new gigantic like financial infrastructures or like shifts away from like I'm, i'm really skeptical of any new kind of like monetary system especially when it like seemingly has some like sketchy roots or or beginnings so i am not convinced that uh i I would say i'm agnostic at best uh when it comes to bitcoin uh but that's i'm also woefully ignorant when it comes to bitcoin so i've asked you to come on the show to explain bitcoin to me because you're a big advocate of bitcoin explain it to me and try to convince me why i should either invest in bitcoin or or switch over to start using bitcoin uh yeah let's just get into the conversation because i think a lot of people listening to the podcast would want to know what it's all about and most people have heard it or heard about it but maybe have never like considered it and uh yeah so give me your background with bitcoin what big maybe start by defining bitcoin and then we'll get into the conversation
1: Sorry, you actually cut out a little. You said, just tell me a little bit more of my background.
0: No, uh, give give like your background with Bitcoin and like maybe start by defining what Bitcoin is and then we can jump into the conversation.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, so being really into Bitcoin, especially right now, I mean, in the past, it was definitely a bit of a joke and um, everybody's skeptical of it. And I totally Appreciate those sentiments, and uh, you're you're not alone. And I was very skeptical, even though I was using it for a long time. Um, but I think I'm especially in the category of kind of psycho fringe people, um, given the fact that it was so big, you know, two and a half years ago when it blew up and it went so high and then it crashed. It like especially became something that people are like, oh, that failed, um, and because now they can like point at the charts and say. You know, it went from 20,000 at a high all the way down to about 3,000. Um, and so, and especially all the other cryptos, like some cryptocurrencies lost like 98% of their value. People totally lost their shorts over it so it's a butt of a joke there
0: for me let's 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 take it way back because yeah you're you're already kind of speaking a foreign language to me sure let's let's go back to like the very beginning and i want you to explain it to me like i'm i'm not a very smart person because i indeed am not a very smart person (laughs) when it comes when it comes to financial stuff yeah sure just explain to me what is a cryptocurrency and then what makes bitcoin what it is so like what is cryptocurrency what is bitcoin Mm -hmm. and like and and sort of explain that for us all
1: right so the first disclaimer I'm going to make is that um people that are into crypto, people that are into Bitcoin are all very opinionated and very often very political. Um mm-hmm. and so the bringing up the political point makes sense. So I'll explain Bitcoin in the most layman's terms possible. Okay. Um but yeah. I'll, I'll admittedly say things that are not true. Um but I'm going to say things that are not okay. true because it's the easiest way to explain it. Um people get huh. part of the reason part of the uh one of the barriers for adoption i think is that there are so many technical people involved in bitcoin um and uh-huh. so many people that want to make sure they're explaining it true to how it actually is that it doesn't make any sense but there are way simpler ways so i'll give you the simple way um, okay. so bitcoin isn't a thing um bitcoin is just a system for managing numbers all right okay. so think of Think of a, so like if I had a Bitcoin, all that means is that on the blockchain, and I'll talk about, I'll explain the blockchain in a second, but on the blockchain next to my wallet address, there's a number one. And that's it. The fact that I have a one next to my wallet address means that I have one Bitcoin. Um, okay. It's the rules that govern it. So think of the blockchain like a spreadsheet, like a Google sheet. Um, uh-huh. And a Google sheet that all of the Bitcoin miners, yep, you have a question already?
0: I was gonna say I'm more of a Microsoft guy, so can we make this Excel? Oh no, right?
1: dude, no, no.
0: No, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Man, man that's I'm such kidding.
1: that's such like a generational like nightmare. Like, if somebody invites me to an Excel spreadsheet, it's like, dude, you must be at least fifty. Like, come on, we're using Google yeah, now. I think,
0: I think there's like a there's like a. Um, there, when it comes to like the Google versions of all those platforms like Google Sheets and like the, and the, even the, like the Apple-based ones, I think with computer stuff, like we're getting, I think there's a learning curve, not with like, because stuff like that is getting easier to use. It's becoming more user-friendly. Like Google Sheets and like the Google-based products to me are like way easier to use and like the Microsoft ones. But yeah. I think there's a in it, like a baked-in skepticism towards stuff that feels too easy when it comes to computers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, if this is super easy, it must not be official or, like, professional. Yeah, exactly. And so I think Google Sheets just doesn't feel as professional as Excel because, like – if it doesn't feel like work, then like, how can it be working? Professional, <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think and that's funny because I think we'll probably touch on that ethos at other parts of this conversation when we start getting into like alternative, alternative forms of compensation and things like that. Yeah. I, I do want to talk to you about like universal basic income and stuff like that later, oh. but let's continue the conversation on, sure. uh, on a Bitcoin blockchain and all of that. Sorry. I don't want to do uh, that. So
1: consider, consider the blockchain, like a Google sheet that all uh-huh. all of the Bitcoin miners have access to. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll explain more what miners are in, in a minute. But everybody's got access to it. And on the sheet is the history of all the Bitcoin transactions. And nothing from the past can be edited or removed. Things can only be added to it. So mm-hmm. let's give a, um example of how this might work. So let's say I... Um, so let's say Asan wants to get Bitcoin, right? I want to give you one Bitcoin because I'm crazy generous okay. and I'm going to give you $10,000 for some reason, um, which is about what it's worth today. So um, I've got a wallet oh address. You've got a wallet address. And I'm going to send you one Bitcoin. So what happens is I send one Bitcoin. And what I'm doing is I'm broadcasting to the Bitcoin network. And the Bitcoin network is all of the miners that I want to send one Bitcoin to Asan. Um And you have a wallet address. I have a wallet address. And so what happens is, and when I say broadcasting, what that's basically doing is it think of it almost like, you know, it's it's a text message to all the Bitcoin miners. And it says like, hey, Drew wants to, you know, send money to Hassan. Um, And so the Bitcoin miners basically verify that I actually have one Bitcoin to send to you. So they check the Google Sheet. And mm. the, the, the real way that this works is that everybody essentially has their own Google Sheet that gets updated after a transaction is added, but I'm just for the sake of simplicity saying that there's one. Um, so they check the Google Sheet, and they make sure that Drew has one Bitcoin, and they confirm that I'm able to send it, and now they remove it from my address, and now all they do is add another line, and it says, you know, your wallet address now has one mm. Bitcoin.
0: And who are these? And, and who are these miners? Because I think this is an important place to define who these people are, since they seem to be the gatekeepers to making these transactions happen.
1: Right. So um, a miner is anybody who wants to mine. You could buy a mining rig, and um, if you're a miner, basically your job is to complete transactions, and you take you take transaction fees from people that want to complete transactions. So if I send you one Bitcoin, I might want to pay thirty cents to. To complete that transaction, the equivalent of thirty cents in Bitcoin, and so when I broadcast it to the network, a miner that picks up the transaction takes that fee as a fee for processing the transaction.
0: And so there's, and and the transaction cannot happen without a miner. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, and and any anyone can do this. Anyone can be a miner. Yeah.
1: Anyone can be a miner. Um, you can go get a rig and do it yourself. The the now
0: what now what is a rig? Uh,
1: mining rig is basically just a specially purposed computer um, that has access to the blockchain um, via a node. I don't want to get too technical and in, into like the real guts, but yeah. um, but basically miners can only see the most recent transactions. They can see the last block, um, mm-hmm. and so. What a block is, is, and so when, it, when people talk about blocks, you can think of this as just like 10 lines in a spreadsheet, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a certain amount of data, but let's just call it 10 transactions. So okay. I want to send you Bitcoin, and it gets, um, uh, miner confirms that I actually have Bitcoin to send you. Um, it adds it to the list, and once there are 10 transactions, um, a miner will compile those and it's basically sealed that turns into a block and adds it to the blockchain, which is a bunch of other blocks. And then they start writing new ones. And there's a new block that happens every 10 minutes. That's, not, that, that's probably getting more technical than we need to, but, but the miners are getting paid for completing the transactions in terms of just that small fee. And then certain miners get paid a bunch of Bitcoin for sealing up the block, which takes a bunch of computing power.
0: And who are they working for?
1: Um, nobody. They're working for people that want to send. That's it. Um, it's totally peer-to-peer, totally permissionless in the fact that no central authority is in control of this thing ever. And in terms of political leanings, so many Bitcoiners are, they call them like anarcho, crypto anarchists, or like, you know, there's strong libertarian leanings. They, because yeah, they want
0: to be off the grid. They they don't trust Totally free market, yes. Yeah, but, but... It is free market, but where so but when I hear the you know the words free market and I hear like no, there's no central leadership to it or anything like that. What, what, what kind of recourse do you have if something goes wrong in a Bitcoin, in a Bitcoin transaction?
1: The beautiful thing um, is that it never has. <laughs> um, it can't. <laughs> uh, it's it's mathematically proven. There's no way to um, so you all the time. I mean, the news media in general loves to shit on Bitcoin and makes people happy um, to say that to hear that like people are failing because they got this monopoly m- magic monopoly money that doesn't work. Um, but Bitcoin's actually never been hacked. Um, the only way that Bitcoin gets stolen or hacked is when it's um, it's sitting online somewhere. Somebody has access to it other than yourself. So if you, basically you have a private key and you can store that private key however you want, and it's your fault if it gets stolen. Um, But nobody's like directly hacked the network. Um,
0: So what's to stop a miner from stealing a bunch of money from transactions?
1: So they're all, um, they're all reliant on each other, right? So if, Mm -hmm. if I try to, so any, 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 so let's say they want to steal, Uh, money right in order Mm -hmm. in order for them to steal that money it has to be added to a block and in order for it to be added by added to a block it has to be verified by the other miners according to their google sheet right Mm -hmm. so if if you try to do something everybody else is going to be like no you can't do that because everybody's got the same list of transactions nobody tried to send you money so you can't just magically create bitcoin out of thin air
0: so how many how many people would you say if you just had to give a ballpark figure I mean you may even have the figure <laughs> but how many people would you say either total are are involved in the bitcoin process who are involved in the the blockchain whether it's miners or people who just own bitcoin how many people are are currently have currently taken the red pill on Bitcoin.
1: Uh, it's funny that you say that because there are, there are quotes from interviews where people are like, this is the equivalent of taking the red pill. Have you seen that?
0: Oh God. No, um, but it is, <laughs> we've, seen,
1: we've seen the, the reality, but um, I actually, I have no idea in terms of like miners and stuff like that. I think the statistic is that like a few percent of Americans own Bitcoin. I want to say three or 5% of Americans own Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the cryptocurrency world at large right so cryptocurrency and people get confused about this but cryptocurrencies refer to a bunch of other like bitcoin is a cryptocurrency it's the original right. one that's been successful but there are literally thousands of others that solve different problems or have different value propositions um and i we could kind of dabble into those but um bitcoin's really kind of the most important um and the one to know a lot about i own several but bitcoin's the main one so if you're going to start anywhere it's at bitcoin
0: okay okay so let's let's continue that conversation about bitcoin Mm -hmm. so i think we kind of got how the system itself kind of works now in terms of real money what is the value of bitcoin uh currently
1: uh so i could look that up i I think it's at like 9600 dollars today $9,600.
0: Ninety-six hundred dollars, and what determines that value?
1: Um, just the free market—how much people want to pay for it. Um, it's totally unregulated. So I'll give you an example. Um, we'll start, When I say totally unregulated, that's not totally true, but it is extremely unregulated. So, um, for example, um, you know, the stock market had a, took a big bath on March twelfth, and so did Bitcoin, and my life flashed before my eyes, just like everybody else's. Uh, but uh, so. When there were all these tankings of the stock market, there were these – you've heard the term circuit breaker before?
0: Uh, never in terms of the stock market or anything, have yeah, so, yes, heard that term. Yeah, so
1: the stock market's open from – I want to say it's like 9.30 to 4.30 or something. Those are, those are trading hours. Those are the only times you could trade at the New York Stock Exchange or something. I actually don't know enough about stocks itself. But if the price tanks more than a certain percent – for a given stock, right? So people are panicking, so they're selling because they want to get cash because they don't know where the prices are going. If it tanks more than a certain percent in a certain number of minutes, they'll actually shut it off. They call this a circuit breaker. So nobody's allowed to trade for 10 minutes so that people stop panicking because they want people to like take a deep breath, like, hey, settle down. So that happened a bunch of times within like a couple weeks span. Bitcoin, none of that. And it trades 24 seven all over the world. And so um, when, when people really panicked on that day, um, Bitcoin tanked by more than fifty percent within like an hour, or something something ridiculous. I watched it, and it, it. I was sitting at my desk, and it went down to like thirty seven hundred dollars, and it had been at ten thousand only like two and a half weeks before. Um, and I took my dog for a walk, and you know, questioned my entire existence. And I got back, and it had bounced all the way back up within like twenty minutes to fifty five hundred. Um, so it's not determined by. Anything it's not supported by anything, right? So like a circuit breaker in the stock market is an artificial means For the government or the stock exchange to make sure that prices are at a certain level or can't do crazy things Bitcoin is just straight up the Wild West like whatever people want to pay for it um, What whatever the market thinks has has value is what it you know what it sells for
0: Uh, Okay, so I still have a question about so because I can't go into the grocery store and pay with bitcoin, correct?
1: Um so you can't pay directly in bitcoin, but there are services that will basically put your bitcoin on a debit card and you can mm-hmm. swipe that and it'll convert it to US dollar like instantly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can't there are very few stores that will literally just take bitcoin directly.
0: Okay. So so here's the point in the podcast where I want you to give me your elevator pitch. Uh, For why I should invest in Bitcoin and maybe you can you can include your story about how you were convinced to buy Bitcoin Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe you can let us know uh, a ballpark I don't know get specific as you want as to how much Bitcoin you own or you have chosen to invest in And then uh, and then we can kind of go from there. So give me your elevator pitch. Maybe include some uh, your personal Story with Bitcoin.
1: Oh, man um, this is a, such a can of worms, and I did not have an elevator pitch ready. Um, I'll give you, I'll tell you that it was a gradual process to, for me to actually buy it. I, I started uh-huh. off by arbitrage trading, um, which means you buy in a cheaper market and you sell in a more expensive market. Um, so, specifically, what does that mean? Um, so, let's say, um, I mean, we have plenty of examples of this in um, normal goods. Um, so mm-hmm. let's say – oh, here, well, here's a good example. So for whatever reason, electronics are fairly cheap in the U.S. compared to a lot of countries. Um, for instance, I know I, one of my friends, his family is from Brazil, and they would come to the U.S. and like, buy electronics because they're way cheaper here than they are in Brazil. Um, it's like, oh, I needed an iPhone, so I waited until I went to the U.S. Um, so an arbitrage trade would be to, to buy iPhones in the U.S., and sell them in Brazil, which would be illegal, actually, because you basically be smuggling. Um, but Bitcoin does the same thing. Um, so Bitcoin goes for different prices in different currencies based on demand, and it goes for more, a lot more money in, like South African rand, for instance, which is where I did a lot of my arbitrage trading. So you could buy. Wait, so is
0: it? So is this illegal? What you're doing?
1: No, not illegal at all. You get like Warren Buffett's got a book on it. Arbitrage trading is really not. Um, it's it's because it's a uh, uh, because it's a means to make money within minutes. People think it's illegal. Um, but how but is that not. any
0: different from buying iPhones in California and then selling them in Brazil?
1: Um, because there are no controls on buying and selling Bitcoin. Um, that's I mean, but the, but
0: the ethics behind it are, are the same, right?
1: Uh, no, because there just are no controls on it. The difference is that so the reason why iPhones would be cheaper, but lo-
0: because but, uh, now we're getting into ph- philosophy here. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. laws, laws don't establish ethics; they reinforce them. So, like, I'm asking you: is is the so the same like ethical conundrum, or let's call it that at best, that makes you know buying iPhones in California and selling them in Brazil illegal? Don't you think the same ethical like problem would warrant a law on Bitcoin?
1: Um, no, because the the reason that iPhones cost more in Brazil is because of taxes and tariffs.
0: Hmm.
1: Bitcoin costs more in South Africa because people there's just literally more demand for it. Hmm. It's not like it, it's not artificial. It's like those people want Bitcoin more than Americans do, so they're willing to pay a higher price.
0: Okay, That's fair so, point.
1: So, um, but so. I'm kind of off what was your I don't even remember what your original question was uh we were talking about arbitrage oh I'm, arbitrage I'm, trading, I'm elevator so. pitching you I'm elevator pitching you Yeah, so right, you are, so, you are. And, and this is the <laughs> this is the worst elevator pitch it got stuck it got stuck so yeah, I got fine. time
0: it's a long elevator ride yeah, yeah. we're in the uh we're in the Sears tower or something um
1: so in terms of why somebody else would want to buy bitcoin is is it's a hedge against fiat markets or fiat regimes What does that mean? So Fiat money is is money. Fiat
0: to me is those tiny Italian cars. Yeah,
1: garbage ones.
0: But yeah. Um, uh, You're more of a Mini Cooper guy?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) No, dude, I'm actually really big into cars. And and anybody anybody who knows something about cars will tell you that driving a Mini Cooper S is a ton of fun. It's like a little go-kart. You're going to get made fun of at school, but they're wicked fun one of the best handling so, cars of all time for sure
0: so who in, who instilled in you cuz to me you're you like bitcoin and like cryptocurrency you like cars i think you're you're the type of guy who like i'm just going to i'm just going to ballpark here but i feel like who who instilled in you this idea that like there are some things that are kind of like pure and transcendent you know what i mean like because to me like someone who likes cars or who's like really into cars is someone who like appreciates a technology that seems perfected and like you know what i'm saying and and can see like the purity in that and like through time like the automobile even though like certain advancements are made like either cosmetically or technologically the the foundations of it remain the same and i think bitcoin kind of speaks to that same part of your whatever it's actually, is. it's
1: actually totally different.
0: Uh, car,
1: really? When I talk about cars, people, because pe- people think of cars as like a status symbol and like a, it's like a thing it's materialist and I'm so not mm-hmm. like it. Um, you know, that feeling when you're just like in the pocket and uh, like you're having just an awesome jam session, like some, something it's like what it, that feeling you get when you're, you're practicing with your band and, And you guys just totally get off on something totally random. You've you've lost track where the song is, and just get that feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like the pure experience of just like it's it's like a stereotypical thing, but it's like that literally that driving experience. Like I don't actually care that much about what's going on in the car. It's like literally what it feels like. The experience of driving Mm -hmm. is like awesome. Um, I love it. I drive a manual car um, because it's fun, and
0: I don't really ever want to drive an automatic, but. Um, so how do you so how do you feel about uh uh the future of automobiles being self-driving yeah dude that bums me out and it's
1: also like that there's a big ethical question for me is like i love driving manuals um and obviously it's never going to happen in an electric format um and i'm pretty passionate about the environment too and it's like man like the amount of joy i get and the fact that it's totally taken away from me is like (laughs) I, i mean it sucks but um whatever so are you willing are you willing to sacrifice that? I guess. And especially <laughs> self driving cars is like that's that takes away like so much that's just dumb. I <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know where to go on that. Think of the lives we'll save. Uh dude, that's a whole other conversation. I'm so against self driving cars for ethical reasons too.
0: Really? Yeah, let's yeah. No, let's get into it. We're here.
1: Alright. We still haven't finished the elevator pitch. No, we'll get back to it. Um so uh yeah. So for, first off, I gotta send you a video, but I, we spend a ton of time talking about self-driving cars in my philosophy classes. Really? Um, yeah, That's because because basically they can only be co- governed with a utilitarian mindset, meaning so basically what you said, right? You're gonna save, we're gonna save a lot of lives, um, mm-hmm. but the problem is that you're gonna save a lot of lives based on a computer program that chooses who lives or dies, which is so jacked up, right? So normally people get in an accident, and as long as somebody's not drunk or on their phone. It's an accident, mm-hmm. right? People might die, yep. but it's, we call it an accident because it's literally an accident. And mm-hmm. people, we accept that as like a fact of life. People don't necessarily get mad at somebody, right, for hitting you. They didn't right. mean to do it. But the difference is that right. when you program a car to do these things, it seems like it's deliberate, right? Computers don't make mistakes. They run the way that they are programmed to. So consider this example, right? So you're driving down the road and you get your self-driving car going, and maybe you're driving by yourself, and there's a work truck in front of you, and this is actually a real-life scenario, because I was in my mom's car when this happened when I was a kid, and a piece of rebar falls off. Um, when this happened when I was a kid, it went up through my mom's gas tank and just started leaking, and there were sparks, and it was actually really scary. Um, we were out in San oh, Bernardino man. somewhere, but anyway, so let's, actually, so let's say a ladder, because you gotta dodge a ladder, right? So a ladder falls off the car, or the truck in front of you, and there's a there's a guy on a motorcycle next to you, in the right lane, and then there's mm-hmm. a family in an SUV in the left lane, right? So what's the yeah. self-driving car going to do? Um, whatever it does, it decided to do, as opposed to a knee-jerk reaction, right? And then there are all kinds of weird calculations at play. So maybe maybe the car, maybe your car knows that there's an SUV to the left, and it mm-hmm. knows that if it hits the SUV, that there's a better chance that the people in sur- inside are gonna survive, right? But all of a sudden then you're punishing people for being safe, right? Or let's say they decide to hit the motorcycle. It decides it's the motorcycle and it decides it's a motorcycle because there's only one person on it. And they're like, okay, well, uh, why punish the people that were being safe? So all of a sudden it's making decisions as opposed to what I would do and what you would do is, oh shit, and
0: turn the steering wheel. Whatever well, you hit, you hit. I think. I think. I think. The argument to be made here uh, is that in both scenarios, whether it's a machine programmed by people or the people themselves, a decision is being made. Whether just because it feels um, out of your like, if the human, if the human is driving, just because it feels like it's not a choice you're still making a choice because you're still weighing your options by reacting uh, the the upside of a computer is the computer can run uh you know hundreds of calculations in you know a fraction of the time that we're able to and able to consider things b- infinitely faster than we are because it has the computing power to do so so like in in both situations there's a decision being made because if i'm driving the car and i say oh shit the only thing i'm really realistically going to be able to consider is there's a ladder in front of me i need to get out of the way of the ladder i may not even realize it's a motorcycle i may not realize it's an suv until it's too late and i've been in a situation like that personally I I totaled my I used to drive a Jeep a Jeep uh, Grand Cherokee I love that car um, I was on the 110 freeway uh, and it was it was when I first started driving to like LA this was when I was in college so it was like I didn't really know how the freeways worked so I'm on the 110 going through downtown and I'm like it's a I believe it was like a it was it was either like a like a Thursday like late in the week it may have even been a weekend and I was driving to a gig and um, I'm driving on the 110, and it looked clear, right? Uh, like, I was passing uh, where, like, um, like you know, the, the the stretch where, it like, it, you just get past, like, uh, the sunset exit and all that. And it's, like, right before you get into downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, it looks super clear. Sick. So I'm, like, doing my thing that I was doing when I was young and stupid. I'm, like, texting and stuff or whatever <laughs> on my phone. Right? I look up. And you know, how the 110 is like, it was clear, you know, a second ago, but now it's not clear. There's a car stopped in front of me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh shit, I need to get out of the way. Right. So I, I'm like better than taking, cause I was going pretty fast, not super fast, but uh, I was like, you know, better than going head on into the back of this car. I should just go to the next lane over mm-hmm. and get out of the way. What I do is I go to the next lane over and I side swipe a car that I didn't see that was on the right. Yeah. Like. And I so I like I had two decisions to make, but the only thing I could really pay attention to and calculate uh was one, I was distracted on my phone, which is a car will never do, and two, like the only thing I saw was a car in front of me, and even recognizing that as a human being reaction time would have been too slow, so like I just can't see the the sort of the ethical argument that that makes my decision-making any better than a computer's decision-making because when you say the word like well people are getting punished for being safe well punish in like implies a sense of malice that i don't think is there with a machine it's just simply running calculations which is what we're doing too we're just not doing it as efficiently
1: (laughs) yeah yeah um no i think uh, well i think what you're saying is a fair point it's it's more about the perception of the scenario as opposed to necessarily what's actually happening. Um, so you're not wrong to say that, that what humans are doing is a, a form of decision-making too, even if it isn't very good or if it, there isn't a lot of data based on it. Um, but in terms of the way that humans look at things, right? So, mm-hmm. um, let's say you injured somebody in that car, right?
0: Okay.
1: Um, they may or may not sue you. Right.
0: Okay. Um,
1: right. But in, in general, they're going to understand why you did what you did, right? So let's consider that same scenario where the car is programmed to do it. All of a sudden, you're a lot more pissed off, and there's an obvious person to go after for this for this problem, right? Um, there's a reason that... So somebody got killed by the self-driving car when Uber was testing it or whatever, right? And all of a sudden, everybody panicked, right? Um, because it's like, oh, there's something wrong with the computer, but when somebody dies in a normal accident, we don't think that way, right? Um, and I mean, I guess the if, if we're following your reasoning, then maybe humans need to just rethink the way that that works. Um, but humans are unpredictable in the sense that nobody knew which way you were going to swerve or whether you're going to hit the brakes or hit that car. Um, but if a computer is programmed to do it, um, it has a d- different like content, right? In terms of I, the way it's yeah. perceived,
0: Th- no, that's true. I think perception is part of it, and I think that uh, even even as someone who I'm someone who supports uh, self driving cars uh, because of the you know I think even if we're able to like bring down the percentage of people who die in automobile accidents by you know ten percent, it's worth it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but the, I think the 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 ultimate counter argument to the perception thing is no one cares that planes like most planes nowadays are flown by almost 100% autopilot and no one has a problem with that um because they've it's made flying infinitely safer and when planes crash no one's like well what the hell is wrong with this computer it's the computer's right. fault we programmed it wrong but you I think, know what i
1: mean but i think that but i think the difference there is that if you get in a plane crash you're dead Right, so there, you have no defense but, mechanism, but people, right? But but when you're when you're a your car, this is always what my this is what my argument always is because I'm a really good uh-huh. driver. I don't get an accident. Why do I got to pay the uh-huh. price because a son's driving a self-driving car, right? But the difference is that like you're in a plane. If the plane's going down, no matter who's driving it, there's literally nothing you could do, right? But if if you're in a car, and somebody else's car decides to hit you, right? You don't. You normally would have control over that scenario, but if you're in a self-driving car scenario, you don't have control. And I think that's what makes it different, because you can actually dodge things driving by yourself, right?
0: Yeah, and so can a self-driving car. A- a better than human beings. That's the point. Right. Uh, well, oh, no. well, the difference
1: is that I'm just. I'm more pointing at the difference between the plane and the self-driving car. Why those aren't the same.
0: Well, it's not a perfect analogy, obviously, yeah. because you know. Uh, but I, I, I'm saying the because we we're talking about perception, yeah. And no one, no when when a plane crashes, no one, no one's family, no 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 loved one of the people who died in the family in the plane crash is like, no one blames the computers, and no one, and and honestly, no one blames the no one blames the pilots. You know what I mean? Like, no one blames anyone because it. it I, here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think, and we can. Get, this is kind of getting back to philosophy. I think what what automation, in terms of like safety based automations, like uh, autopilots in in in, in uh, planes and in self driving cars, it, it's a it's built on this um, idea of mitigating bad luck. Like there is a layer to existence that is covered in luck. It has nothing to do with how well we perform, how well we're able to do anything. It's all based on every time we get in a car or a plane, we are taking a risk that is acknowledged by everyone. That's the whole point, and and the fact that we make it to where we're going without any uh, uh, you know accidents or death or, or anything like that is based on just having good luck. I mean, it's not like I, when I and when I say good luck, I don't mean like some woo woo luck force that you can tap into. I mean, it's just it's just the odds. You know what I mean? Like so, you know, the fact that you know we're still alive is just luck. You know what I mean? It's just. I got in a car and my when I turned the key it didn't explode. That's luck. I pulled out of my driveway and wasn't hit by a guy flying down the street going 100 miles an hour. That's luck. There are some people who got hit by a car last night and are dead now and and it may not have been it may not have been it, it was surely no fault of their own. It was just luck. You know what I mean? It was bad luck. So what these automated, you know, safety measures are trying to do is mitigate bad luck to where let's we let's take as much mitigates it mitigates
1: bad luck but it also mitigates good luck and i think that's the part you're minimizing right so like if if i'm lucky enough that you didn't swerve into me right in a self-driving car scenario there is no luck the car did it
0: no it's still luck it's still because it's still bad luck that you would end up in a situation to where your car would need to Uh, jump out of the way of something and that luck is the same whether or not you're driving it or the computers driving it if a ladder falls off the back of a truck that's still just bad luck and what self-driving cars seek to do is try to minimize the amount of mitigation that a human being personally has to do in a situation like that because our minds don't work as fast as computers like like it feels like what you're advocating is like we, we should take autopilot out of airplanes and let pilots just fly them because at least their good luck good luck also won't be mitigated you know what I mean uh
1: yeah I mean I just think planes are a totally <laughs> it, different thing
0: maybe, maybe I'm, a, not, I'm,
1: a, you know? I'm not afraid to bite the bullet on that one because a plane goes down you're dead I just like I don't even really care which I mean if if it's if, if for me it's more of the and and the fact that planes don't hit other planes, right? Like that's like the rarest thing, like ever. It's happened, you know, however many well, the times. Reason,
0: the reason they don't is because of air traffic control, which is driven primarily by computers.
1: Sure, but like in the history of of air travel, right? That's still a very rare con- occurrence, as opposed to you know, cars on the road. Um, so
0: if, if 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 changing, you know, ninety changing the car, the amount of cars on the road that are automated to 50% would lower the amount of auto fatalities to like by maybe 5% or 10%. Do you think it's worth it?
1: Um, so my solution is actually to bifurcate it. So you should have different roads for self-driving cars for people that want to sign up for that. Like, I don't want to be on the road with people in self-driving cars, right? That's introducing a variable into my driving that I I don't want to sign up for. So I think that if people want to It introduces a
0: variable, but it reduces far more statistically fatal variables that you would normally encounter.
1: Sure, sure. But that's that's not something I would want to sign up for. Really? Yeah.
0: Even if it meant statistically, like drastically reducing your chances of dying on the road? Yep. That's an interesting choice.
1: Yeah. I I don't want to I don't want to live in a world where computers decide who lives and dies.
0: I mean, we kind of already do though. Uh I don't know, do we? I think I think we live in a world where what decides whether we live or die is is out of most common people's hands as it is and for those who who it sometimes can fall into their hands like doctors and scientists and police officers police officers especially um i think oftentimes those people what they're doing at the core of what they're doing is running equations they're weighing odds they're running statistics they're running algebraic equations that may not feel like it in the moment but that's what their brain is doing and if we can create computers when we have that can do those calculations with the same ethical code that is written in our brains, we can write into that computer, but, but can make those decisions at a fraction of the speed. Don't you think it's a moral imperative to do so?
1: No, not at all.
0: (laughs) So you don't believe in seatbelts?
1: I'm not a utilitarian. That's probably my biggest beef. Um, I don't really look at people as like, Numbers or look at consequences If if I have to pick A ethical system I would say I'm more Aligned with deontology um, what, what is that? Well so in a utilitarian Scenario um, Basically every action that you make Is a means to an end um, So the only there is no moral worth In any decision you make or any action That you take the only moral worth Is contingent on what are the consequences Of that action so what that Means is that killing somebody is amoral, it's not a moral question. Killing somebody is is moral if it results in something good. If it results in something bad, well, in a utilitarian sense, it's literally the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest amount of people. So in a scenario where a car has to decide whether one person dies or whether three people die, it's gonna choose the one person because more people are surviving that scenario, but they have to do something like make a decision to kill somebody in order to meet that end. And deontology says that you have to treat every person in every situation as an end in itself. You can never use anybody as a means to an end. So what that says is that you can never lie. You can never kill somebody. Every every You choose an action based on its moral worth and your intent to act according to your goodwill.
0: More um, mor- So moral, moral, what morality is this based on?
1: Um, the universalizability of an action. So...
0: Okay, what is happening? So this is
1: Kant, um, basically, is what we're talking about. But
0: <laughs> Philosophy Drew has showed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: We, I want to get back to Bitcoin at some point. You um, will, but this yeah, is good
0: stuff. <laughs> so, so
1: consider any action, right? Um, the way I do this with my students is I'll say, uh, so is Killing Wrong. And everybody will be like, yeah. Like, that's your knee-jerk reaction, right? Now, well, Kant, Kant's theory is more complex than this, but that's very much what it boils down to if you now, say it in the simplest e- this way.
0: This is Immanuel Kant, right? Yep.
1: So if Ooh, if, I, if yeah, I I
0: know, I know stuff dude. yeah there you go um, so if you say something like uh, if you ask
1: something like is lying wrong everybody's knee-jerk reaction is gonna be yeah um, and what that's appealing to is that all of these this common rationality of understanding morals um, is based on what is actually true about them in the fact that lying is immoral killing is immoral the only time we ever justify it is based on some sort of ends, right? So we're, we're using it as a means to an end, and we're basically breaking the moral code in order to bring about some other end. And um, so the, the reason why you know this, Kant basically says that everybody has this, anybody who is capable of reasoning has this in them. He calls it the principle of universalizability. So every time you act or choose to make an action, um, mm-hmm. you're acting, you're basically creating a law. Right? So if I decide that in this instance, it's okay to kill somebody, well, so if if I'm questioning whether it's okay to kill somebody, the question that I need to ask is, would I want my action to become universal law for all people? I want people to be able to kill people whenever they want or think it's justifiable. And if it can't be universalized for everybody, then it's immoral. And Kant says that, Basically, if any any person the person who's capable of reasoning would come to these same conclusions. Um, the only reason we live in a world where people act immorally is because they're trying to cheat and justify cheating, as opposed to acting according to ends instead of means.
0: Okay, but what if the ends that someone say say someone is acting in a way that you would deem um, utilitarian? It, it, it utilitarianly, or whatever the word would be for that, in a unit, in a utilitarian manner,
1: utilitarianism, yeah. like,
0: <laughs> right, yeah. But what if the the ends that they're trying to, like, serve, are rooted in the same moral imperative that the universalism is? What was it called? universalism uh, it's
1: de- deontology is the system, but it's it, it's a principle of universalizability. Yeah,
0: universalizability. So what if it's what if the universe? What if the the the, the ends of the utilitarian and the and the universalizability? <laughs> what if they what if they meet? Like what if they're the same? Because there is a morality or some kind of implied moral imperative at the root of what Kant is is preaching. Right? yeah it's called a, it's what, called the
1: categorical imperative that's like, you're and, literally and, saying it yeah
0: and what and define that what that is because I don't know what it is it's
1: so it's it's like a really weird translation but this this is almost the quote verbatim but it says act according to that maxim whereby which it also becomes universal law or something I botched it I thought I had it but but the categorical imperative is basically saying that you have to act that you have to right? that's imperative categorically meaning the same in all situations right so if killing is wrong it is always wrong no matter the situation
0: then okay i'll grant you that but then as a society i don't think the conversation ends there because as a society we have to then decide is it over is it ever okay to act immorally so the the question is not whether see, I think that's a much less interesting question. The question of is it wrong to kill is not the is not the important question. It's not the at least it's not the most interesting question. The most interesting question is, even if killing is wrong, is there ever a time where we as a society deem it's okay to act wrong, essentially? And you would say no.
1: Um, so this is yeah, this is a really hard thing to explain in an ethics class, but um, a philosopher's goal for an ethical system is to come up with a system so that they know what to do in every given situation and be able to judge whether something is immoral or moral in every given situation. So Kant's theory has plenty of flaws, but guess what? We always know what to do. We always know what's moral and immoral. And same thing with utilitarianism. And so what you're saying is, um, is uh, it's way softer. And it is how ethics operates in the real world. But it'd be really hard to come up with a system like that um, because you wouldn't have. So, the reason that utilitarianism sounds really extreme in the sense that it's saying literally no actions are good or bad is Mm -hmm. because that's the only way they could make this system so that it could be applied. But if you say something like, um, you know, killing actually is bad, right? But sometimes it's okay Mm -hmm. to do it. Well, mm-hmm. you're you're differing from utilitarian and that's right. it's um, and that's OK. I think that's how most people operate, but it's it it detaches it from a system that you could really like apply. Um,
0: oh, OK, I'll grant you that. Uh, you, yeah, it it would start to not be scalable to have because in an ideal world, I think here's how I would like our justice system to work. In a real world, I would like – and I think the founding fathers might have had the same idea, but it it just hadn't proved to be scalable, um, at least in the way that we've interpreted it. But I would like the justice system to work Um, – something happens. Someone dies, and there is definitely – it's unnatural causes. So so there was something – I hate to say foul play because that's a loaded term. But someone died by means not natural – not deemed natural, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and evidence, scientific evidence points to that it was another person who did it. And we know, have a pretty good idea who the other person is. So scientifically, at least, you know, we know that it was this other person. I would like for there to be no law, but there to be every time something like this happens, there is an there is an intellectual discussion that happens between several different people uh, who have different points of view. To establish the different situations, the different, you know, elements involved, to discuss the moral implications of was this death, like, what were the means, what was the ends that this death was trying, that the person who committed this, this act was trying to, to find and like have all the, basically the type of conversations we're having to decide. And then like, as a society, we vote on like, well, what do we think? Have we been convinced? And I mean, I think what I'm describing is like a version of of like what the court system tries to be. But um, it sounds like
1: you're talking, you're describing a jury full of qualified people (laughs) as opposed to randos.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I think, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think, I think what we're trying to do with our justice system, I think in its purest, Sort of form would probably be the best uh, way to go about, but also I don't necessarily believe in punishment either. So like that's that's like a whole nother topic we can talk about. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't really believe in punishment either. But I do think there's value in in drawing moral lines for any sort of if we want to have any sort of consistent society. But that's sort of my opinion on that. Yeah, but. <laughs> you have anything to say on that before we uh, well, i don't, we I,
1: don't I don't disagree i mean i've got plenty of reservations on democracy so um and i can come off pretty fascist in that regard but we don't yeah. i don't know if we don't open that door right you, now
0: you, you'd like to see we can we can just look down that we can just look into that room we don't have to go into it but are you someone who thinks we should be more of like a meritocracy uh well
1: boy that That word is going to get me in trouble if I say yes. (laughs) Um, Well, I just think uh, – I mean not as a whole. Not as a whole. I just don't think that, like, for instance, you shouldn't be able to be a president with no credentials. Gotcha. Which we currently have. So, yeah. That's fair. fair. (laughs) Uh, You have to have something qualifying you. And
0: and the qualifications – To be the leader of the, I hate to say the free world, but to be the leader of the United States, those qualifications should not be luck based either. Like you have to be born in the United States. Why? Uh, You have to be forty-five years old. Why? Oh well, dude.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's more just like basic reason. But yeah, like so. For example, we don't have to get into guns, but like my my dad's Canadian. And, uh, he's, I
0: would love to get in together. He's not. A,
1: he's not. He's not an American citizen. And uh, uh-huh. when you're not an American citizen, you have a longer waiting period to get your gun. Of course. Which is totally irrelevant to whether you're a safe person or not, right? Um, right. Don't you think Gandhi should be able to get a bazooka on site? He's not going to use it, right? If if the criteria. And sorry, when I say that, I don't mean like literally, like. Bazookas are okay to have the point is that I where where you were born or what your citizenship is no indicator as to your, your level of violence. Um, it's right. totally irrelevant. And for some reason that's a law makes literally no sense. And my dad's like, he's got it. He's got a couple guns, but he's like, I think he shot him like once he's, he's very stereotypical stereotypically Canadian where like he doesn't ever talk about politics and mostly he asks questions or makes random comments. And th- <laughs> there's a reason he's not a citizen, because he's just kind of like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> <He's> like <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't know why he would or wouldn't, so he
0: just, like, isn't. I don't know. Yeah, He, li- he lives in the United States?
1: Yeah, yeah. He's lived here for 45 years.
0: Yeah. So no. he's he's a naturalized citizen, though, at this point, right?
1: No. No, a, natu- really? a naturalized citizen is... I mean, all that means is that you became a citizen not by birth. Um, And no, he's an isn't a, he a green is there, like, card. a thing...
0: Oh, he's a green car. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, even that can take... You know years and years to get um i think the immigration system is crazy but anyway um yeah we don't, i mean not, uh, i should have you well I'll, I'll have you back and we'll talk more about guns and and more ethical stuff sure but i do want i do want to get back to bitcoin okay uh i think that was good stuff though okay so one more time touch on why why should why should i invest in bitcoin
1: um so at a bare minimum level. I'll say that there are a couple values. I was actually thinking about this when we were talking about it before because I needed an elevator pitch. So number one, it's a hedge against fiat regimes. And a a fiat currency is like the US dollar, which means it's not backed by anything, right? So historically, it was backed by gold. um, And currencies in general might have been backed by gold. And so what that says is that if I have a dollar, I basically have a note that could be exchanged for that amount of gold at the bank or from the Federal Reserve Mm -hmm. or whatever, Right. Uh, but that's not the way money works at all anymore. Um, it's printed. It doesn't mean anything other than the fact that the government says that it has value. Um, and so what's currently happening and why this is related to our current financial problem, right, is so we got the stimulus packages where everybody got, you know, 1200 bucks or whatever, and the government and all these businesses got loans. And I want to say the total cost was like $4 trillion or something. So where did that $4 trillion come from? They just printed it. They made it up. Um, and, and when I say printed it, they didn't even print the currency, which makes it even more ridiculous. All they did was add some more numbers to their ledger that they control, right? Mm-hmm. And what that does is it, you know, it creates inflation. So all of a sudden, all of our dollars are worth less money because the government just made some up. Um, and what that also says in terms of a fiat regime is that our money is only worth something so long as the government is still in existence um, mm-hmm. and able to. And the government policy dictates how much it's worth, right? So if in a in a country like um, South Africa, where people are, and this is part of the reason that Bitcoin's worth more money, their currency is really volatile because their government's really volatile, and so the people that the value that you get for your work right you go and you work and you get paid is based on like cronyism and corruption and all kinds of crap that like right. t- totally fluctuates the value of your currency um and, and countries have gone under and people's whole life savings are worthless and so what bitcoin is is it operates outside of that and its value is created by the fact that it's a hedge against the fiat regimes um, so that's one part And then you, so you have control, you're your own bank. That's one of the, um, that's one of the like typical, like slogans, like be your own bank. Right. So when, when this all started two months ago, um, banks started limiting cash withdrawals because they're trying to prevent a run on the bank. And I want to say that because people panic, right? They went and bought a bunch of toilet paper. What's the other thing you do? Go get a bunch of cash. Um, and then people were buying guns, like all this crazy shit. Right. Um, and uh, I want to say Wells Fargo was limiting cash withdrawals to $600, um, which means that literally you don't have the keys to your own safe. And they're controlling how much money you a- you have access to. And this has happened in other countries where stuff is like shit has really hit the fan. Um, and um, well, it's funny because so my mother-in-law was telling me this was 10, 12 years ago. I don't know enough about it, but you know all these banks collapsed in the financial crisis, and this literally happened to her where her bank went under. And she was one of these people standing in line on the side of the street with you know 100 other people trying to get their money out because they were so afraid that they weren't going to be able to get money out. Um, and so Bitcoin freezes from that. And then the other part, and so you're completely in control, the government doesn't know, um, nobody knows how much money you have, where it is, um, and so nobody can take it from you. Um, and then the other part, or another part of it. Is that nobody is in control of how you spend it or use it, and that sounds like the a lot of the stuff I'm saying sounds like kind of crazy right-wing libertarian stuff that I'm hinting at. But I'll give you a real-world example. So um, one of my business partners is in Pakistan. Um, I do web okay. development, and uh, we have a really good relationship. Um, he's awesome. I've literally worked with him for more than six years. We talk all the time. Um, to the extent that I've literally loaned him money, and I've never met him in person. Um, Oh, wow. So and people would think I was psychotic for that, but obviously my dad was like, What the heck did you do? I was like, Yeah, I don't know, he asked for money, so I you know, I let him borrow a couple thousand dollars. But anyway, so I remember the first time I ever wired him money. I walked into America's Christian Credit Union at uh you know on uh, alasta right in front of apu there that little bank you, you still bank there <laughs> I, I did at the time and um <laughs> i walked in and he lives in so and i consider that really conservative you know apu environment he mm-hmm. he lives in muslim town islamabad pakistan so Muslim town is some subsect of Islamabad. And I walked into the bank and I said, I want Wait, wanna... it's,
0: actually, it's actually called Muslim town?
1: Muslim town as a part of Islamabad in Pakistan,
0: wait, wait. which Pakistan is
1: wait. like immediately <laughs> sets off all kinds of bells and whistles, right?
0: So like, you know, like there were town, there's like a town in Montana. Like it was originally called Silvertown because there was uh. like a silver mine there and now it's called Silverton. Okay. Is there like Muslim Muslimton? <laughs> Man, I have no idea. Pakistan? <laughs>
1: I mean, that's like the uh, English transliteration. I mean, I have no idea what it actually is, but but yeah, I mean, Muslim town, that's like the area he lives. And so I walk into the bank and I say, I want to wire $2,000 to Muslim town, Islamabad, Pakistan at, you know, the right wing bank of America. And uh, Mm -hmm. they're just like, like heads are like spinning. Like I'm talking fairly, you know, audibly, like I'm having a conversation with the teller and people are like shitting their pants, right? And I've had, I've had funds put on hold, um, all kinds of stuff happens because, um, and this is, and so governments have, in America, we're not used to it because we don't have the same type of capital controls that they have in other countries. Um, but all of a sudden, like, I'm sure I'm on a watch list. Like I don't care. I've sent, I've sent way too much money to Pakistan to not be on a watch list. And, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's totally innocent, but why the hell should I be on a watch list? Um, and why why should it matter that you know I'm I'm like paying basically a friend business partner at this point to help me build websites? Um,
0: well, because they have to make sure that that's all that is in the in in the in the interest of safety for everyone around you and you. Like, what if the guy? What if what you're doing is totally? And I'm just playing devil's advocate yeah, because yeah. uh I, you know I I'm not gonna come down hard on whether I agree with you on that point or not, but. Uh, What if you you say you never met this guy in person? Yeah. I mean, what if, uh, what if what you're doing for you, as far as you know, is like completely fine and like totally above board and stuff like that. But this guy is some shady individual, like, and you just have no clue. Uh, You don't know what he's giving some of his money to or all of his money to. And I'm not. And obviously, I'm not saying that that's what the. But I'm just consider what if. So like, I mean. It's not just the safety of others, it's I mean, it's your safety too. I mean, if you were secretly giving money to some organization that you disagree with or that poses a threat to your own safety or the public safety of the United States, I mean, I think we have a vested interest in in, in making sure that that's not the case that that would be the argument, you know what I'm saying yeah um and you may not you may not think it's a very compelling one, but and, and I don't necessarily think it's a very compelling one, but I mean it is there. It, yeah it is there to be
1: yeah, so the way that, the way that you painted it. Sounds great, <laughs> but but of we course. but we know what bankers do, right?
0: That's true. and yeah.
1: and we know that they're the reason that shit hit the fan twelve years ago. They're the reason that shit might hit the fan again. And it's not about, you know, I'll say some very small percentages like genuine caring for people's safety. It's way more about control and making their own money and just yeah, being I think assholes.
0: I, I worked at a bank that I won't name in this particular context right now. Mm-hmm. But I worked at a bank for about two years and it was like it's like a big uh American institutional bank, mm-hmm. like a Wells Fargo, like a Chase, like a Bank of America. And All right, so I can
1: figure out I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh it I I do think so I mean my a lot of my friends think i'm a crazy left-wing socialist and i'm you know with with some merit but i do think banking is probably one of those things that would not i think we would benefit more from having more government regulation on banks than not and i i I don't think that just the same way i don't think there should be for-profit news like i don't think the news should be should be concerned with ratings and selling ad spots. I, agree. I don't think I don't think that banks should be in the interest of selling people accounts so that they can collect interest and 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 do all that. I just don't Yeah, yeah. I don't I, You know what I mean? I think I think if we're going to have a collective institution where we 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 pool our money and and, and all that, it should be run by someone who doesn't have a an interest in in in, in anything financial to gain from that process. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, um, so I, yeah, so it's one of those things. In my opinion, I think banks should be probably a, a federal thing rather than you know, hey, some rich guy started a bank and he's gonna try to sell you as many different things so he can you know yeah I just don't I just don't I don't know yeah I don't, know if I, I don't think I, I just to me the incentives are wrong they're misaligned uh, totally
1: absolutely yeah um, yeah and I uh, yes yeah, so I'm a bit of a conundrum because it's funny because. I'm I'd say I'm not a moderate at all um, because I have really extreme views, but they're really extreme views on both sides. Um, right. So I'm always being accused of being a socialist and I'm also being <laughs> also always being accused of being right wing. Um, and I'd say I'll, I'll toot my own horn here and say it's because I think about issues individually as opposed right. to like signing up for what the gang is saying. The, the team, um, yeah, yeah, and so I come off totally polar opposite on certain things, but I totally am on board with that. The um, and I I think that our values, I think human values in general aren't so different. I'd say your mm-hmm. yours and my values are actually very similar. Um, mm-hmm. These just might be different means to you know satisfy those values. Um, I think the problem, I I would agree with generally what you said. I just couldn't ever in a practical sense, see that happening in the US because the bankers have their hands in the government's pockets, um, not sure. the opposite, right? Uh, or actually, am I saying it backwards? Um, and so I just can't ever, this is the way to, I, I'm i very impatient and I listen, I'm not very impatient, but I'm, I'll just say I'm too punk rock uh okay. i'm way more interested in destroying systems than than. like i think the way to make a better system is to is to break down the walls uh yeah. you know just throw in a nice use it today reference there um we're gonna be tearing down the walls instead of um instead of like hey let's like vote and get a powwow it's like hey especially something as corrupt and evil as banking it's like hey screw you guys like we're gonna win like get out of here and this is how we're gonna do it um, right. And so, but, but there's also all this freedom. So that's the other part. Sorry, this is another part of the pitch that I think you will also be on board with. Um, so there's like a billion people in the world that are unbanked um, and they don't have means for um, storing cash. And right. And so where cryptocurrencies re- really have value, like South Africa is a perfect example, the place where it's worth like the most in the world is in Iran. It's worth like three times as much as it is here. Um, so it, and this is like that, that offhanded comment I made on your Facebook post, which probably started all this where I said like, buy Bitcoin so we all can be free. That's really, that's, that's like the intense value prop that somebody like you would totally align with. And I'm totally aligned with, um, is it's, it's freedom for marginalized people that are outside the normal financial system or victim to these really shitty regimes in the U S people don't give a second thought to it. We just pay our 2% fee when we use PayPal and whatever. We don't blink. But if I can't, uh, so my buddy in Pakistan, he can't sign up for PayPal, right? So there's like this right. classic, there's this classic example in uh, like Bitcoin history where, um, so in, in, in Muslim countries, um, well, not all Muslim countries, but at least the ones that I'm most familiar with, like in Pakistan, if you're a woman, you can't have your own bank account. Right um your bank account is your brother's bank account and so let's say you get a job or it's whoever's like literally your guardian right so you go get a job and um you get paid and it goes into your your brother's bank account or your dad's bank account you don't have any control of your money um so there's well, this there was this group of like computer programmers no no no, journalists i can't remember but it was women in afghanistan um that you know wanted to take control of their own lives and so they started being compensated in Bitcoin for writing news articles um, and able to sort of fund their own lives because you know their family wasn't in control of their bank account anymore, or the fact that they couldn't even get a bank account. So there are places in the world where you can't get a bank account because banks don't want to deal in those countries, or poor people aren't right. worth their time, right? Uh, poor people aren't worth their time, and banking is too expensive. And this is like a huge statistic in the U.S. where like. Um, the poor, the poorest people in America, pay the most in fees, and they pay the most in fees because of these of predatory, you know, services. Um, yeah. And Bitcoin the would save everybody in the world, a bunch of money. The
0: craziest thing in the world is an overdraft fee. Yeah, that's <laughs> <And> <laughs> ridiculous.
1: But Bitcoin would never allow you to do that.
0: <laughs> that's like that's like <laughs> that's like getting charged a fee by the gas stations when your car is empty. Yeah. It's like, oh, you waited until you got below a quarter of a tank. Well, gas is now ten dollars a gallon yep. for you. Sorry. Sorry, that's pretty it's pretty crazy. You went
1: over by a dollar, it's gonna cost you forty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so here's so here's yeah, I think it's a great pitch. I think there's a lot, especially in terms of like uh individual agency that I think Bitcoin has to offer. So here's my thing. What I think Bitcoin offers in freedom and agency and and all of that and lack of reg- regulation, what I think it offers in that, I think where you lose me is I'm really hesitant to endorse any kind of system of um, compensation or, or financial system that doesn't that isn't endorsed by a government entity only because there are so many social programs that I think the government offers, and I think that they should offer, that are uh, that would not be accounted for if the world or if if a majority of people started using Bitcoin exclusively. I think there's a right now as Bitcoin exists. There's a there's a um, I, I keep going to the word luck, but I, I think it applies here. There's a there's a there's a level there's a a a funnel of good luck that it, or a hurdle of good luck that's required in order for you to really enjoy the benefits of Bitcoin. As you I mean, as you said yourself in America, it's trading at ninety six hundred dollars a share or whatever it is. Ninety six hundred dollars a Bitcoin a coin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, the people that you described who would benefit the most from uh, a, a currency like that, I think in. In practice, would be missing out on a lot of um, would not be able to enjoy the luxuries of, of Bitcoin or sort of the freedoms tied to Bitcoin if they also weren't um, if Bitcoin if, if 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 they weren't able to reap the same awards that they are from a U.S. dollar based federal government where you know like you know what what happens to Medicare what happens to you know social programs that exist now that are based on the dollar unless the u.s government in some way endorses um, bitcoin or any cryptocurrency i just don't i just don't see it working now i'm not i'm not saying that because i don't believe in in an alternative currency because Mm. i i want to throw this idea uh, past you and you can answer that question that i just asked you in in line with this Mm. i think the future of american the American economy and and probably the larger global economy is is going to be based in some kind of alternative um, monetary system, something like a Bitcoin. But I think uh, it will have to be um, it'll have to be socially based in the sense of because uh, I think uh, and Andrew Yang talked about this. Uh, people who are in favor of universal basic income are in favor of like a some kind of Monetary system that doesn't carry the same – and I'm using quote-unquote cash value because I don't mean like cash dollars. I mean like the same cash value um, that U.S. dollars do but but is something that we can use to compensate people to do work that – doesn't have a typical or traditional cash value like it's not time spent at a desk it's not 40 hours at a job it's like a way to compensate people for doing things that we find valuable in society that don't typically have a way to compensate does that make sense um
1: yeah i don't know enough about it uh, but I'm, I mean, I know enough about universal basic so, income yeah, like, and so I know about certain I'm, I'm things. I'm saying but,
0: some, some kind of social currency mm-hmm. that, and maybe, maybe it's Bitcoin, I don't know, but some kind of social currency where people can be compensated for things that like, aren't typically like, there's no company that does it or no job, like stay at home moms or stay at home dads or, you know what I mean? Like people who choose to uh, like adopt kids, something that where we can start compensating more people that isn't going to cripple. Um, the U S dollar. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't, I,
1: I'm having trouble figuring out what that actually would be. Um, right. but I, for the record, I'm, I, I, well, I think there are several aspects of what you're saying, but the big one I think is just taxes. Like simply yeah. put, that's your biggest question. I think is that what are, how are you going to tax people so that you can take care of, um, others, right? Right, right.
0: I love, yeah, I love what Bitcoin offers, but as it stands, if it's completely independent from the federal government, Mm -hmm. I feel like, and and say half the people in the United States adopt using Bitcoin only, Mm -hmm. then I feel like the government, you know, how do we tax it? How do we get people to pay their fair share into society if they're using something completely separate from society?
1: Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an important question. It's a big question. Um, I'm not, so the cryptocurrency community in general is really split on the whole taxation thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, the, there's a poll that came out recently that says the majority of cryptocurrency users um, support taxation. Um, so a means for doing this, which is really sort of against a lot of the early mantras, is you have verified wallet addresses that people want, only those wallet addresses people want to interact with. So you've, right now, mm-hmm. you can go online, you can generate as many Bitcoin wallet addresses as you want, and nobody knows who actually has control of those wallet addresses. Mm-hmm. But they've talked about a system of verifying, right? So in the same way that you go to a bank, and we know that that's your bank account and you have a card, right. it's the same right. sort of thing, but it verifies your wallet address. And so in that sense, all your transactions would easily be able to be tracked and able to be um, uh, taxed and whatnot. And essentially, mm-hmm. people... It would be, it would still be possible to to act outside of the financial system, but people right. won't necessarily want to, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to send, I don't want people, the government looking at me because I sent money to unverified wallet address, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So they're actually in in there was a there was talk in Congress with the stimulus checks of literally doing it like a cryptocurrency, in terms of like digital dollars. Um, so there are there are means to reap a lot of benefits from cryptocurrency. Um, and still, like remove the anonymity of it, um, which which could solve some of the problems you're talking about. Um, the truth is that there are tons of tr- uh, the government's trying to track this stuff pretty hard, um, and of course. addresses get reported all the time. Um, there was a thing in Canada where they the government was figuring out who was doing cryptocurrency and sending letters in the mail to people like warning them to claim their taxes so i'd say uh there are other means to do it um it defies a lot of things that people love about cryptocurrency um but at the same time you could you could do this let's say you just do the verified wallet addresses and you start taxing it and there would still be huge benefits because you could remove the entire banking system um but you would still be able to you know act efficiently and know what people are doing and stuff like that. Even if, even if the government wouldn't have control. Right. Um, so they're like free market forces like the one I talked about too. the fact that like you wouldn't want to interact with anonymous wallets and stuff like that um, because then you would show up as doing that and stuff. Um, I don't know enough about that because I haven't thought that far ahead to be honest. Um, but, uh, and I'm not really sure how I feel about the anonymous aspect um but there are coins that are way more anonymous um Mm -hmm. than bitcoin of course um yeah because bitcoin really isn't that anonymous unless you try
0: mm-hmm and i mean and it's kind of a catch-22 and, and i'm not a philosophy person so i don't know if this is actually a catch-22 or if i'm using that term incorrectly but uh i'm terrible
1: uh, at that kind of stuff so <laughs> shoot, go for it
0: <laughs> well it, it, the the irony i guess it, it is iron is ironic the irony is that the more obscure the coin you get involved in uh, you know the less the less benefits you have in terms of like using that and transactions that you have, because there's going to be less and less people who have it, right. and less and less people that you know would have it. So exactly. it's like,
1: yeah,
0: you're limiting yourself. So um, I guess we can wrap up just giving a little bit. I, I first of all, I think that was a great pitch. I think there's a lot. Of, you made it very clear. <laughs> I think you you you, sti- you uh, uh BIC, the argument for Bitcoin very well. Uh, um, I will want. I do want to ask you just sort of a little bit more about your personal journey with Bitcoin um, to wrap up here. Um, so what, in terms of, what is your plan for Bitcoin for the future? Do you see it as more of an investment tool to try to like, you know, are you going to sell it at a certain time once it reaches a certain value? Or do you see it as like a permanent fixture in your life in terms of like using it to buy and sell things? What is your relationship with Bitcoin and what do you see like the future of Bitcoin for you?
1: Um, right now I'm just trying to buy as much as I can. Uh, in really, yeah, probably more heavily invested than I would want to admit, but uh, or most people would want me to be. But so,
0: what is your wife? What is your wife's opinion on this?
1: Um, I fortunately, have a good history of economic, or of making good financial decisions, so she generally okay. trusts me, um, and doesn't care too much. Uh, she definitely would have in the past, but because of... uh. Been able to rub a couple, you know, nickels together and whatnot. She doesn't care so, as much.
0: So let me ask you this. Yeah. What percentage of your cash assets would you say is in cryptocurrency?
1: Uh, 60%.
0: About 60%. Maybe That's more. a lot.
1: Yeah. Maybe okay. more.
0: So, um, what is the process like for, uh, for cashing your, your, cryptocurrency out how do you have to go about doing that say you know there's an emergency and you, you're like man i really need you know we gotta buy a new house or something what is the what is the what is the process of cashing that that bitcoin out
1: well so the good news is that i have both my kidneys so i could launch one of those first and mm-hmm. before i have to mm-hmm. sell any bitcoin
0: of course that's and
1: uh, fair. now that we have a kid my drums are in the garage so i'd, I'd sell those first and you got two more kidneys
0: <laughs> yeah with the kid
1: uh that's true yeah and yeah, yeah he always sell his kidneys um so fortunately i haven't had to do that and the the bet is the gamble is that if stuff really went haywire bitcoin's price would actually go up um if the economy collapses bitcoin's price should go up
0: unless it's tied to some kind of event that would knock out like a power grid or like data and stuff
1: yeah, so that's a whole different can of worms. But in terms of cashing it out, you just sell you sell it on an exchange um and withdraw the cash to your bank account. Exchanges basically work as like you know a go-between between banks and the blockchain. And so you deposit cash to them, buy Bitcoin, sell it, withdraw it.
0: And what's and what what percentage of that transaction do they take? uh varies
1: really widely um oh, i gotcha. think on coinbase pro it's like a quarter of a percent um okay. but if you were gonna buy and it depends on how much you buy but if you were gonna buy like i think only like a hundred dollars worth on regular coinbase with a like a debit card i want to say it's like 10 percent. it's some crazy number um wow. so that's like huge obviously um but you could do it in cash like there's a website called local bitcoins which is basically the craigslist of bitcoins you can literally go meet people in person hand them money and they're gonna send you bitcoin and that especially in like in the early days people did that all the time um i wouldn't really do that because uh i don't really see the the need to you know Mm -hmm. go meet somebody with cash like that's a it's they do it in like you know McDonald's or something, but still, it right. just seems like not a good.
0: So, do you see Bitcoin or uh, you, the Bitcoin that you own? Do you see it as like um, uh, as like a sort? I guess what I'm asking is, do, do you see that as like your savings account or as like your bank account, or do you see it as more of like? an investment tool that you hope to cash out one day at like a high value? I
1: mean, I hope it takes over. I hope, I hope, I hope I'm part of like, you know, the future. But if, if, if it ends up my, my wife literally asked me this question the other day, but she's like, you know, is there some point where you want to sell? And if, you know, if it's, if it becomes worth enough to pay off my house, yeah, I'm selling. And yeah. Bitcoiners would probably hate me for that. But I'm, I'm not greedy at all. So, like, that, I don't need to... I, I'm pretty conservative in terms of, um, like, I'll take my winnings and, you know, whatever. But I, I think it's going to have tons of utility as we keep going to the future. So I, I would probably never sell at all. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, the, the projections, like, there are crazy projections. But, like, people are saying... So if you heard of the having Bitcoin halved uh, no. about a week ago? No. Actually, it was on Monday. Uh, we don't need to get into that. But there have been two <laughs> there have been two halvings in the past. Like H-A-L-V-I-N-G, like cut it in half. half, Yep, cut it in okay, half. So gotcha. so if you're a miner and you get the reward for putting a block together, compiling a block and adding it to the blockchain, um, you get a like a shit ton of Bitcoin. But it costs a lot of money to be able to do that. You don't do it very often. So up until Monday, the block reward was 12 and a half Bitcoin, I think. And now it's only six and a quarter. Um, so that means when there, there were two halvings in the past, it used to be 25 and it used to be 50. And the last two times this has happened, there's been a run up on the price like, I want to say, 30 times. Um, like the initial time, Bitcoin went from like $3 to like 100 or something crazy. And then the second time it went to like, over a thousand. Uh, oh no, that's not right. No, no. The second time it went from a thousand to twenty thousand. We went from like six thousand, six hundred to twenty thousand, and so we just had one of these events, and so people are predict predicting values of like a hundred k for a bitcoin. Um, if it followed the exact same pattern as the past, people are saying like three hundred k for per bitcoin. But that, like, I mean, that's. I mean, I don't know if that. If it, if it got to that level, I'm not going to wish for that much. If it just like triples, I'd be really happy, but, um, that's like nuts. I could send you links on that. That's a whole different ball of wax.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you could. Uh, Drew, it's been, uh, it's been very enlightening and informative. You're, you know, your stuff and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, if you, yeah, if you're open to it, we should do, uh, more episodes, uh, Bringing you back to talk about some more philosophy stuff. We can talk guns. We can talk For sure. whatever you want. I would love to throw some philosophy questions at you and just yeah. This is I think people are going to enjoy this episode and I think it's going to be really uh, well received.
1: Yeah. Wait until you see how many Bitcoin listeners you have and you get a bunch of hate mail because you're like, no, you described <laughs> that wrong. Blah blah. So last disclaimer: I know I described stuff wrong. Most of it was on purpose. Some of it I might actually not know and I'm dumb. So, uh, but thanks. All right. so this has been a Fair lot of enough.
0: fun. Hey thank thank you man thank you uh we will have you again soon uh if uh do you want to let do you have an online presence that you want people to be aware of or anything like that no not really not, even, not really i'm anonymous. not really public <laughs> <laughs> is there is there anything you want to plug anything at all i'm not a, i don't like a particular if you need a website better oh yeah if
1: you need a website or an app betterbuild.io. uh we build better just there made you that go. up. But Better yeah. Build is is my like main side project right
0: now. <laughs> hey man, that writes itself. That's yep. a good slogan. You should copyright it. Yeah, I don't know. We better build, we build it better. Yep. I mean, why why not? I've been watching a lot of Mad Men recently. I recently got into Mad Men. No, man, have, that's you ever, slow. have you ever
1: watched Mad Men? Yeah, it's too slow for me.
0: Is it? And it's like I, a I, lot I, of talking. Yeah, it is a lot of talking. But I told my girlfriend like uh, Cause she watches it. She's seen it before, but she watches it here and there with me. Yeah. I told her like, I really expected the show to be a lot slower than it is. I think th- it is a lot of talking, but like it's the, the editing, the actual like pace of the show is edited pretty uh briskly in my opinion like the scenes don't go on for minutes and minutes at a time it's like this person talking to this person for like 45 seconds to a minute and then we're following a different character and then two minutes later we're following a different character yeah. so like it moves you know it's kind of like it's kind of like um uh, like west wing but of of like yeah i'm not
1: i'm not really a tv show guy <laughs> <All right. laughs> so i'm not gonna Fair get enough. it because i just i can't get sucked in man i i I'm not. Big you got too much. You got too much Bitcoin to track, man. Well, I I, I love movies, and I, I especially like ninety minute movies. Um, yeah, any Is your favorite movie
0: like Margin Call? You love that movie? I've never even seen it. It's uh, it's about the housing crisis. In oh. 2008.
1: no, no, no! I like like <laughs> sci-fi and horror movies, and okay. like psychological thrillers. I've oh, seen we should movie. talk
0: about some psychological thrillers, man. It was when I philosophy watched.
1: Guy. It was one I watched recently that was. I, dude, I'm so bad at actors. I think it was Jake Gillenall. What's the guy with that mole on his face?
0: The mole Jake his Gyllenhaal.
1: Face. I think that's who it is.
0: What else is he in? So it what was some
1: weird like Canadian horror psychological thriller. I want to say it was like an hour twenty minutes, like nonstop. There was, there was like a theme of like spiders. I don't know. That oh was my yeah, kinda... it's
0: called. Um, I think it's called Enemy.
1: Enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like movies yeah. like that, I really like.
0: Yeah. Did you? Oh, we should talk. about Is that about Jake Gyllenhaal? It is Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. My
1: wife always rips on me because she knows all this stuff. And I don't know. I don't know. I can't name anybody. I'll be like, oh yeah, you know that one guy? Blah blah. And she'll be like, you mean Brad
0: Pitt? And I'm like, oh yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> did you like? Uh, did you like Enemy?
1: Yeah, I liked that a lot. I don't. I thought it was. Uh, they tried a little too hard to be like kind of obscure and like. I, yeah. I get a little annoyed with like trying to be like too deep. Um, and there might have been a little bit of that, but that's my style of movie for sure. Have, have you seen yeah. under Under the Skin?
0: I haven't Scarlett seen Drayton. that one all the way through. No, that's a but really good one too. I, I like I like those kinds of movies. Yeah, um, Enemy was good. I do think, yeah, I do think they uh, they were trying to be uh, deeper than they were trying to. Yeah, they were, they they thought there were more levels to that movie than I think there actually was. Yeah, uh, and which is fine like you can't like you can't knock him for trying but um yeah the 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 spider thing was interesting uh, they they weren't saying a lot but like i get what they were trying to do you know yeah uh he you know he he treats you know he it, they were commenting on how he treats women and and he sees women as like I, i'm i it's been a while since i've seen it but like they're trying to comment on how he treats women and like because it, it like they'll the whole thing at the end where like he walks in the room and she's like now a spider is like from the beginning when he's like watching the woman step on the spider like in the beginning. It's all about like Yeah. He he, he doesn't like women until they like I had to read some blogs are, on it
1: to like catch up for sure.
0: Yeah, it's it's all about like he doesn't really value women until they until they become like a certain level of like uh sexually appealing to him. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like until they've crossed the line and have become, you know, spiders, spiders. If you will yeah I hey, mean it's all very, it was kind of convoluted did you like the movie annihilation have you seen that movie uh, i don't know that's it's with natalie portman and there's like this like weird event happening in the forest and like it's like changing nature and stuff you seen that i think you should watch maybe. that maybe we can... i feel like i've seen so many of these kinds of movies actually i'll be like oh it's a good movie and then i don't even remember what it was about I'll send you a link. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. I think it'd right. be an interesting thing to talk about. But yeah, we should have you on soon. That'd be good. All right, because we could run on forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, one more time, your uh, website for the web design. It's betterbuild.io. Betterbuild.io, yep. uh, and you can find uh, me personally, Asan at uh, Asan the DJ on social media. That's A H S O H N the DJ. Um and you can find this episode of this podcast and more episodes at weeklyregular.com or wherever you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all of that good stuff, downshift or downcast, whatever it's called. Uh yeah. Uh thank you, Drew. I appreciate you and we will see you next week.